This week on Blue 58, Latroy Guyon is gone for good. Aaron Rodgers doesn't start slow, and the Packers are going to be good, but how good? Then we preview this week's very first preseason game. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, joined by co-host Gary Zillaby. Gary, how are we doing today? Just dandy. It's a great day to be great, isn't it? It, it is too, but I'm also feeling dandy. It is a dandy day. The weather is finally a little bit less humid here in southern Indiana at the northern headquarters of the Power Sweep. And uh, it, it, it feels pretty nice, i got to say. How about we dive right in with some headlines? First and foremost, Latroy Guyon, now a former member of the Green Bay Packers, cut after three seasons, uh, three suspensions, and at least two arrests. Packers have plenty of defensive line depth around Latroy Guyon, and he wasn't coming back until week five anyway. So, Gary, why do you think the Packers took so long to release Latroy Guyon? John, it probably was due to the length of his suspension. Uh, Initially set at four games, it looks like the NFL is going to extend that number. Ultimately, what likely happened is that Green Bay decided that uh, they weren't comfortable keeping him on the roster for whether it would be a half season or, or, or less, uh, guy on, uh, his release really is an indication that it's, it's, uh, it's going to be good to keep a keen eye out on Dean Lowry, Brian Price, Ricky John Francois and Christian Ringo, uh, as, as the preseason moves on. And, you know, John, as I was thinking about Latroy guy you remember what his last play as a Packer was? Uh, I didn't until you reminded me of it earlier today. What was it? He was an offensive lineman at the end of the NFC Championship game. Remember, TJ Lang had gone out with an injury, and the Packers uh, were just trying to kill time at the end of the game. They had the ball about the two-minute warning, and Guyon went in and played offensive line. We have a gif of it on the power sweep, and uh, he was probably what you would expect from a defensive lineman out there trying to block, but uh, his final snap as a Packer ends up on the offensive side. I, it's, it's a perfect kind of the entire Latroy guy on experience. I mean, this is a guy who is cited in green Bay during his time there for fishing without a license. Just the, between that, the, the arrest with that, that marijuana arrest where he was, I mean, let's be honest. It looked for all the, for all intents and purposes, like he was the walking or driving embodiment of, possession with intent to deliver if you look at those at those pictures and the amount of money he had with him and the fact that he was carrying a firearm at the time he was arrested it's just been a wild time for guy on in green bay uh, i'm with you i think this all, all this does is make the the bottom of the defensive line group a little bit more interesting for these next few weeks i think it's it's christian ringo brian price um, they just signed another big guy this week. I forget his name off the top of my my head, but he's got a brother who played for a while in the NFL. Big guy played at Arizona. Um, those guys are, are are have an opportunity here. Presumably, Guyon was going to be around at the end of his suspension if they hadn't cut him at this point. Now, it could be anybody, and who that is will. I mean, it'll be decided in the next few few days and weeks. So exciting times for for those guys on the roster. Uh, what's your favorite Latroy Guyon memory? <laughs> I think my favorite Latroy Guyon memory is how often the photographers that cover NFL games loved taking pictures of him. Uh, he he always had a a pretty interesting and and uh, creative eye black regimen on his face, 
and it just seemed like uh, the gold chain really spoke to photographers. So when you'd look at the pictures from a Packer game, uh, you'd be like, why, why are there 10 of this 98? Um, and, and for that, we thank Latroy Guyon. Very photogenic, if nothing else. Let's move on to some happier topics. Uh, I saw some wailing and gnashing of teeth already on, on Packers Twitter this week. And uh, on the internet as a whole, around the Packers' plans for Aaron Rodgers this preseason, he's not going to play much this preseason. He never really does. More or less already ruled out for this Thursday's game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, This has led to concerns about that dreaded slow start for the Packers. Well, I took a look at that and, and whether or not Aaron Rodgers, if the Packers do start slow at all, and I'm not sure that they do, whether Aaron Rodgers is the cause of that. You can look at the entire piece at thepowersweep.com right now, but I'm going to spoil it for you. The the conclusion is no, he doesn't. Rodgers is pretty much as good during the first four games of the season as he is during any other part of the season. He's just ever so slightly more likely to throw an interception during the first four games of the season. But even then, it's by like less than a tenth of a percentage point that he is more likely to throw an interception. Don't worry about slow starts. Aaron Rodgers is going to be fine. Gary, are you calm? I'm calm. No more rocket balls, please. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the, the coincidentally, a little trivia for you. I think that was the runner-up for the power sweeps name back in the day. It was. It was in the running. It was somewhere up there. Um, I, yeah. I liked it. It's a little bit. It's. The thing we've always struggled with, I mean, the peek behind the curtain here is getting people to realize exactly what we are because we don't have names like Packers or Green and Gold or, well, all the other great names for Packers blogs were kind of taken or they had the good twists on the the old Packers stuff already. So we we went to the power sweep and Blue 58 and it's not it's not always really obvious what we're talking about. So, well, here we are. Here we are. Uh, one year later. John, to your comment about Rogers' slow starts, I, I went ahead and did some analysis of their uh, of the the nine seasons that Rogers has been the starting quarterback for the Packers, and I wonder if there's a little bit of bias here in in Packers fans' minds because if you go and look at these slow starts, quote unquote, there's there's a little bit of the most painful losses that the Packers have have faced in the regular season have come in these early uh these early season matchups where ESPN the morning shows are just going to try to you know oh the packers are 0 and 1 you know will they bounce back and kind of get unfairly tagged with a with a bad start a couple that I just wanted to point out were 2009 you had two losses that year a home loss against the Bengals really painful uh last second loss where Rodgers lost um Really had a shot at the end zone, but couldn't get the snap off in time. And then the Monday night football road loss against Brett Favre and the Vikings. Really two brutal losses there. You've got 2010 when they lose to the Bears on Monday night football. One of the only victories by Jay Cutler over Green Bay. But another primetime loss thanks to two Chicago fourth quarter field goals. And then in 2012 and 2013, we've got Harbaugh's 49ers Uh, handing it to the Packers in the first game of the season both of those years you've got the fail Mary that took place in week three another painful loss to the Cincinnati Bengals this time on the road in week three of 2013 2014 you've got the Seattle loss on opening night on front of a national studio or national television audience and then last year the loss on Sunday night football against the Vikings when they opened up the new stadium I, I think part of the slow start could be pegged with 
the Packers have lost some high profile games early in the season. And as a result, you know, the media has, has kind of clung to this. Well, are the Packers, you know, lost their way uh, just, just as a, in a search for content. A couple of those seasons really jump out at me because 2014, I mean, Aaron Rodgers went on to be the MVP of the entire league there. He played as well throughout the, the last three quarters of the season and the playoffs as, as really anybody anybody ever has, or certainly as well as Aaron Rodgers ever has, maybe not quite as great as in 2011. The, the slow start there, I guess, may have been a legitimately slow one, but it didn't matter because you had Aaron Rodgers. Then in 2012 and 2013, two very fluky losses, uh, one in each of those seasons, uh, if two different or two plays go differently, the Packers are easily three and one in each of those two seasons. If Jonathan Franklin doesn't have that bizarre fumble against the Cincinnati Bengals, a game that you were at, Gary, uh, the, I was. the Packers probably win that game. And then in 2012, we don't need to talk at length about the fail Mary, but obviously a lot of things could have gone differently in that game and had the Packers coming out on top. I mean, that was still when Cedric Benson was the starting running back for the Green Bay Packers. If a couple different things go right there, the Packers are 3-1 and one to start the season. If but for two plays, the Packers could have had 3-1 and one starts in five, four of their last five seasons. I think slow starts are a myth. That's, that's where I stand. I think it's because of the high-profile losses on national TV, but I'm with you. I think, it's a, I think it's a myth as well. All right, so let's move on to our last headline here. How good do the Packers have to be? So the idea of every season is, is you want to have a shot at a Super Bowl. You want to be there uh, playing for a Super Bowl at the end of the season. So what does it take to get there? I did a bit of a study on this over the past week or two, and I've looked at everybody who had a shot at a Super Bowl in the last eight seasons. So how I defined that was looking at the, the teams that made it to the conference championship games. I defined that as having a shot at a Super Bowl because you're playing to go to the Super Bowl. And once you get to that last game, anything can happen. What I learned is basically you have to have a really, really good offense and an almost as good defense to get a shot at, at playing for a Super Bowl every year. You have to be pretty much top 10 in every one of the categories that I looked at uh, for the offense and close to the top 10 for every category for the defense. So what does that mean for the Packers? Well, the Packers have a really good offense. Uh, They ranked well inside the top 10 um, in each of the offensive categories we looked at. Defense, they may not be as far away as we think, but they they rank really poorly in defensive efficiency, um, in total defense, so the amount of yards that we give up, and uh, they have a real weak uh, pass rush and aren't likely to duplicate their success there. So, Gary, with all that said, and you should check out this entire piece at thepowersweep.com to get a look at this and see if you agree with it, uh, Gary and everyone else, do you think the Packers did enough to both stay competitive and shore up the defense to the point that they can get another shot at a Super Bowl? As we stand here in August, I think yes. Uh, they've, the Packers have done a good job at improving their depth at the secondary position. They've added some new weapons at running back, and I think that uh, the early returns have been positive on that little added wrinkle of putting one of the safeties, whether that's Morgan Burnett or Josh Jones, in as a hybrid safety linebacker. John, what this comes down to me is how the injury bug affects this team going forward. If the Packers lose players at positions where there's depth, I think they've got a better chance. But uh, unfortunately, it's a bit of a sliding scale 
where we won't know if the Packers did enough to stay competitive until we find out who won't be with the Packers this year and the depth of this team is tested. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, and it's, it's funny how things that you see as positions of strength right now uh, may not be in as little as just a couple weeks. Rewind the clock a year ago, and we thought that cornerback was about as strong as any position on the Packers could be. The Packers had Sam Shields, two promising rookies, uh, a nice undrafted free agent who was entering his second year. It looked like things were going well, but as we saw in 2016, that position of strength did not end up being a position of strength at all and may have been the reason the Packers got bounced out of the playoffs when they did. What we look at the Packers and see as strengths now may not actually be their strengths. I think we can safely say that as long as Aaron Rodgers is a part of the offense, they're going to be pretty okay because even in 2015, they they did all right there as well. I don't know if they did enough. Uh, well, I don't know if they're, they're going to be completely turned around on defense, but I think they at least took some steps in the right direction at, in terms of adding some athleticism and that that safety sort of inside linebacker hybrid is one of the things I am most excited about watching this week in the first preseason game. Um, we'll get a chance to see if the Packers started to do enough or we'll get a better idea of whether the Packers did enough towards revamping that defense, revamping their team as a whole this week in their very first preseason game. But before we get to that, I want to draw your attention to our rapidly diminishing time uh, to vote in our T-shirt contest. Uh, we have three designs up for your consideration at thepowersweep.com, and uh, we want you to vote on them because we are going to produce this sh this shirt for a very limited run. You'll only have a couple weeks to buy this, and we are going to announce the winners later this week, but the polls are going to close late Wednesday night, so hopefully you're listening to this on Wednesday, the day it comes out, and you'll have plenty of time to vote in this, this contest. It is available at thepowersweep.com. We like all the designs, but we're only going to produce one of them which one we produce is up to you. Right now, there is one design with a fairly commanding lead, but it could shrink pretty quick if we get a few people who like one particular design out there and voting. So don't hesitate. Vote today. Take part in our t-shirt contest, and we'll give you a chance to uh, buy this design later on this week. So keep an eye out for that. All right, let's talk about this upcoming preseason game. Blue 52! Gary, something awesome is going to happen this week, and the Packer, that is that the Packers are going to be back at Lambeau Field playing an actual football game. Can you believe it? I've been waiting for this my entire life. Your entire life since February, since or whatever February. that was. When the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whenever it was that the Packers season actually ended. So we're going to take a look at a few questions, kind of previewing this preseason game. I don't want to go super in-depth on on individual players or what they're going to do. I want to look mainly at position groups, uh, who's going to play where, and and maybe a couple people who are looking at in terms of what they can do this year. So, Gary, if you have any questions to, to throw in here, um, feel free. But we're just going to dive in on the offensive side of the ball. Gary, my first question just, just right at the gate is, is who do you think is going to get the most time at quarterback? Obviously, Brett Hundley is going to get a lot of it. But beyond, but beyond that... I mean, how much do you think he'll get? And be and once he comes out, who's going to play and how much? Well, you've got Taysom Hill and uh, Joe Callahan behind him. It'll be really interesting to see how the snaps are split for Green Bay at the quarterback position. I'm interested to see what Hill does. 
I I would say that he's not going to get as long of a look as Callahan is going to get just just because of Callahan's time on the 53-man roster last year. The Packers are going to have another hard decision with Joe Callahan. It seems as if quarterbacks are are scooped up at a higher frequency early on in the season than they are later on in the season because you just don't have as many weeks to to get acclimated to the playbook. So if the Packers likely want to keep Callahan, uh, it's a good bet they're going to have to keep him on the 53. So uh, I'm 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 going to say Callahan gets the most snaps out of the three: Hundley, Callahan, and, and Hill. Wow, uh, that's that's an interesting take. I think Hundley is going to ultimately get the most time throughout this preseason. When the games matter less, maybe early in the preseason, I think it's probably maybe maybe there is a chance it could be Callahan. I, I want to explore a little bit more with something you touched on there. Do you think it's really Callahan versus Hill for that number three spot or Callahan versus the possibility of keeping three quarterbacks on the roster at all? I don't think Callahan is is up against Hill for the third quarterback spot. I think Hill's ceiling is likely a, a practice squad addition just because of his advanced age and uh, his injury history. I, I don't think there's a reason to keep him on the 53-man roster, protect him from from other teams. Um, I think Callahan's, his shot at a roster spot is against the idea of whether you want to keep three quarterbacks around and positions like cornerback, wide receiver, outside linebacker, maybe even offensive line. If some of the fringe names in those positions aren't necessarily showing the the skills you'd want them to, I think Callahan gets a better shot at making this roster. I think that's a, a very good way of looking at it. You mentioned one uh, position there that I wanted to make sure we touched on in this offensive portion. Which receiver is going to break away from the pack? So early on, it looked like a couple of the more bottom of the roster guys were having a rough start to camp. But a few guys have really come on here in the last three or four days of practice. So we all know about uh, the draft picks from this past spring, D'Angelo Yancey and Malachi Dupree. But Max McCaffrey has been having a good camp. Trevor Davis has been taking snaps with the number one punt return team and doing a lot of good stuff on kickoff returns. And this monster guy out of Marshall, Michael Clark, the six foot six, 217-pound wide receiver, seems to get mentioned almost every single day as a guy who's doing something interesting in training camp. Do you think there, there's an odds-on favorite to break away from that sort of group of receivers? And we haven't even touched on Jeff Janis. <laughs> you stole my line. I was going to say Jeff Janis. Uh, it, it's it's between McCaffrey and Davis for me, John. And the reason I say those two is because they've had more time in the playbook. Uh, I think Yancey and Dupree are certainly going to have an inside track because of their status as rookies. going to be hard to see uh, Yancey especially being cut uh after this preseason but you know clark a guy that you brought up is a really interesting case it, it does seem like twitter is a buzz uh with with his potential and it'll be interesting to see what kind of routes he can run in the preseason if if his skill set is what i think it is which is i'm big and i can catch things it'll be hard for him to crack this team and at least this year but uh i'm i'd, I'd have to say mccaffrey or davis uh, are the ones that are going to have the best shot at uh, really earning some some significant playing time early on in the season. Yeah, I think McCaffrey is, is really, really interesting because he's seeming to be almost everything that Jared Aberderis was supposed to be when he was with the Packers. Aberderis 
for whatever reason, never really worked out. But McCaffrey is 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 very similar, about 6'2", about 200 pounds. Uh, Aberderis was about that size, a little bit taller, a little bit leaner than McCaffrey. But other than that, they had had similar games, both operated out of the slot, relied on quickness. McCaffrey, though, very, very fast. He ran in the mid-4-4s at his pro day coming out of Duke University. I thought I, I ended up looking that up out of the other day or the other day because um, Michael Cohen on the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel podcast described him as like this, this Wes Welker type. And that is completely inaccurate because Welker is five inches shorter and runs the 40-yard dash two-tenths of a second slower than Max McCaffrey. Other than that, though, pretty similar. I guess you have to make sure. They have a have pretty to similar comparison, though. You have to you have to compare every big white wide receiver to Ed McCaffrey and every smaller white wide receiver to Wes Welker. Those are the only two comparisons. And you'd you think make. because Max McCaffrey is Ed McCaffrey's dad that it's a layup that you'd compare him, but you know, sometimes. But no, he plays in the slot, so he's he's Wes Welker. <laughs> or Jordy Nelson. He he's, he reminds me of a young Jordy Nelson. Absolutely, but uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how McCaffrey um, shows up in the preseason. Because I have to credit Cohen again, one thing he he talked about on on another episode of the podcast this week is is something that may be an an underrated factor in how some of these these prospects perform. McCaffrey has a really good relationship with all of the backup quarterbacks because he spends the most time with them, and and Cohen wondered if since these quarterbacks are playing behind backup offensive lines and may not have as much time to throw, they may just end up looking for that sort of. Uh, security blanket type receiver. And since McCaffrey has such a good relationship, he wondered if he may get a couple more targets coming his way because uh, of that relationship he has with the quarterbacks. I don't know if there's any plausibility to that, but I did think it was an interesting point. So let's move on to our final question here on the offensive side of the ball. And this one, I don't know if there's anything we can really say about it because, Yuri, as far as I know, you haven't been up to training camp yet either this year, and I don't think we're going to make it up there, and this one would be a difficult one to evaluate even if we were there. But how do the Packers' backup centers look? This is one of the the important things about this team this year that nobody really has talked about. Uh, it, it freaks me out if something would happen to Corey Lindsley, who is going to be doing the snapping for the Packers. We talked about it a little bit last week or a couple weeks ago. Don Barkley has some experience there, but not a whole lot. Are you concerned about the backup centers? You know, John, when I lay my head down to sleep every night, I think of three things. Uh, I think first of, of, uh, of Max McCaffrey. I think second of our backup centers. And I think third of whether Edgar Bennett will get a head coaching job. So, um, I don't think it has a chance at outranking Max McCaffrey, at least until I get some film. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm a little concerned about it. I guess concerned in a vacuum, maybe more, because like I said, we haven't had a chance to evaluate this really at all because you, you don't get a lot of uh, breaking offensive line news if you're just one of the people who, like you and me, follows Packers training camp mostly online. Not a lot of people are talking about that, but I think it is something worth watching uh, in this first preseason game. Let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball, and then we'll think about whether or not we have any any general questions going in. Uh, my first question on defense is whether Quentin Rollins can translate what he's been doing in practice so far into games. Now, he's been running with the number one defense, which was a bit of a surprise, and playing there consistently, but is that going to translate over into the game? What's your read on that, Gary? 
Well, FYI, not an opinion. Quentin Rollins is really a, a great um, option here for the Packers as uh, at his, as a slot cornerback. And I think that um, he's going to have a good opportunity and he's definitely going to have the first crack off the bench at, um, at, at, at taking that next step. Um, my money is on, uh, is on nobody because it's just a crapshoot until we see what they look like. But um, I'm really interested in seeing what Rollins looks like. Uh, my question about Rollins has always had to do with timidity because he's always seemed a little bit hesitant playing out on the field. And and he has pretty good size. He's not very fast or, or super athletic in the, the combine sense of the measurables. Uh, but other than that, you know, he, he has performed well at times when he has been assertive. If he can be assertive like he's been um, at his peaks in the past, I think it, it bodes well for his future with the with the first team defense. Rollins has not, the most similarities to Charles Woodson and uh, Casey Hayward as far as anticipating uh, a coming pass and stepping in front of it for an interception. Uh, I think there there's some some merit to that, and I think what he has over uh, Quentin Rollins that or Quentin. Quentin Rollins, Demarius Randall. We're talking about Quentin Rollins. One of the things Rollins has over Randall is just bulk. Uh, they're they're about the same height and weight, but if you look look at them standing side by side, Rollins is just built like a football player more than Randall is. Randall is very wiry and uh, and long and lean, and I bet he's a, a heck of a track athlete if you put him out and, and had him run a two hundred or four hundred. But Rollins, they talk about him playing that slot or star position. You can you can see it, and you can you can project him out there doing that. I'm I'm interested to see what he does this preseason. Uh, sticking on the defensive side of the ball, one of my big questions is whether or which non Clay Matthews or Nick Perry pass rushers have some success this season. We talk a lot about Vic Soto. He's one of our favorite kind of semi-joke players to talk about, just because he has a great name and he 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 made a roster one year based almost solely on two great preseason performances. I think something similar could happen again this year, but the Packers need some pass rushers other than Nick Perry and Clay Matthews to step up, regardless of what people do in this preseason. If you had to pick one pass rusher to to watch, who would it be? Man, <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to pick just one because they all seem to be about the same. Um, I'm interested to see what Fackrell does just because He's the highest draft pick of the bunch. Uh, and he's also age wise kind of time to time to show up. Uh, he is about the same age as Vince Beagle and Fackrell is, is just petering on the edge of being a bust and he's got to show something here in this preseason and, and especially, you know, in, in this regular season as a whole, if he, if he wants to stick around in the NFL, I would I would have gone with Fackrell if you hadn't taken him, but uh, outside of that, I'm also watching Reggie Gilbert. Has some great size and speed sort of combinations, about 6'3", 260, 270 sort of range. He had a great rep against David Bakhtiari in the family night scrimmage, beat him with a nice inside move, uh, which is a, an area that Bakhtiari almost never gives up to anybody, much less a, a guy, a former un, undrafted free agent. Gilbert is kind of in line with a, a guy I've talked a lot about before, Jonathan Calvin, a big sort of what they would call the, the elephant end or elephant position that Dayton Jones played last year. You need, you need a little bit of size among that outside linebacker group. And I think Gilbert has a great opportunity um, 
great opportunity this preseason, as big an opportunity as anybody else on the defensive side of the ball. Finally, on defense, Gary, how much do you think the Packers are going to use their safeties as linebackers? It's been the talk of training camp almost every single day. How much do you think it's going to happen in this first preseason game? I don't think we're going to see it a lot in the preseason as a whole. I think where we'll really see how confident the Packers are with that formation and that look is in the early regular season games. It seems like the Packers are a little vanilla defensively and schematically with under Dom Capers early on, and especially in the preseason. Uh, John, I know one of our favorite anecdotes about the Packers was the uh, the 2014 season when uh, they were they were they went inside and had those closed practices to work on something special defensively, right? Yeah, absolutely. That was a, a great memory, and and it turned out to be a three four or a four three. It was a four three. Yeah, switching back to a four three. We're going to use Julius Peppers as a traditional defensive end. It lasted for less than a half of a game. It was it was sad. Good job, good job, guys. <laughs> it made me very sad. But yeah, I, I think your your theme there is a good one. I think the Packers are going to be pretty vanilla in the in the preseason. I'm not sure we're going to see a lot of the safety linebacker hybrid sort of whatever deal, but I think we will see it a little bit. Um, I don't know how much you want to put on tape for defenses in the preseason, but also with the way personnel is switching around so much, I'm not always sure how much value the preseason tape actually is anyway because you got a bunch of guys out there who aren't going to be playing in the NFL at all trying to run these defenses how much value really is there um, in the tape that you're putting together for these for these other teams Gary we're just about out of time for this week's episode Uh, anything else you wanted to add before we head into preseason game number one I'd just like to to shout out to all of the out-of-state Packers fans who had to make a significant purchase this week to watch these preseason games from the NFL uh you're in our thoughts and prayers. Absolutely. Especially those Packers fans in St. Louis. We look at our metrics for these podcasts. Who are you people? I I don't mean that like. <laughs> that sounded very condescendingly. Who are you? Get away. <laughs> I, I don't mean it that way. I, I just honestly want to know. Who are you? Where are all these people from St. Louis listening to this show? I really want to know. If you are one of those people, go ahead and reach out. Let's be uh, friends. You know, yeah, be friends. We need some more friends in St. Louis. I have some uh, some family friends in St. Louis, some people who worked with my parents uh, a long, long time ago. I've heard you guys are the best it. fans in baseball, so thanks for coming to the best fans in football, John and I. Absolutely. Hey, Gary, while I got you here, here's a factoid that's probably of interest only to me. Did you know that Aaron Rodgers had the most penalties of any one season of his career last year? He had eight of them, six delays of game, one intentional grounding, and one face mask penalty. Wow. Congratulations, Aaron Rodgers, on getting the first personal foul of your career. And since I know you're wondering, his previous season highs were seven penalties in a season in both 2010 and 2014. I guess we can just see how committed Aaron Rodgers is to constantly improving his game and increasing those stats in every category. Just great hustle, I think. Great hustle on the stat collection too, John. Very, very, Absolutely. very proud of you. Yeah, I just... I'd spend my time wisely is what I like to say. Thank you. Gary, I think that's about a show for this week. I think it is too. Hey, if you haven't voted for a t-shirt, vote for a t-shirt. And if, uh, if you're listening to this later, then go buy a t-shirt. And if you're listening to this even later, then why didn't you buy a t-shirt? And if you didn't know you could buy a t-shirt, then sorry. 
Um, Sorry about that. But uh, otherwise, if you'd love to get in touch with us, we'd love to get in touch with you. Uh, Our podcast is supported and, uh, well, we are thepowersweep.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter as well. We're the Power Sweep in both of those locations. And if you don't feel like talking to us on social media, that's fine. You can send us an email. We'll respond. It's thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. All of your feedback and comments and conversations that you send us really help John and I make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better and helps make all of us smarter Packer fans. And smarter Packers fans, as we always say, are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. For Gary Zillaby, I am John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58. Uh-huh.